0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Um, so today's passage is Isaiah 7, um, verses 1 to
1: 17. In the days of... Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, reason the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shiri Jash, Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smouldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Reason and Syria, and, and the son of ramalia Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tibil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again the Lord said to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to be weary, men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, Amy, and thanks be to God. Today we're going to look at God's given sign of his son. So I want to take you years back... um, In fact, way back to July 1943, Dr Campbell Morgan announced his resignation from being pastor at the Westminster Chapel in London. It was his 80th year. Uh, In this time of war, his understudy, a Welsh medical doctor by the name of Martin Lloyd Jones, took over. The chapel building held about 2,000 people, but only around 500 people attended at the time. A regular prayer meeting was established and Lloyd-Jones unashamedly and tellingly preached Christ crucified and risen. And the attendance began to grow and the regulars couldn't get over how many people in armed services, uniforms were turned up at the chapel. Then in a time between June and August 1944, that's the following year, 8,000 German flying bombs were launched against London. And on one occasion, uh, Lloyd-Jones was praying amidst the noise of one of these V1 Doodle bombs. Uh, the bomb um, fell close to the chapel and badly damaged it. Uh, and people afterwards were uh, about the calmness and the confident faith of the doctor. He was praying right up to the impact of the bomb. Then after the bomb went off, and then he briefly paused and then went right on calmly and patiently praying for God to work. The reason I mention that is because uh, this chapter, Isaiah 7, was in a time of war, and there's a standout response uh, on the part of people and on the part of God in this time of war. So what we want to see today is, firstly, God's promise word, and then move on and see together God's gracious provision, and if we have time, then God's sure warning of judgment. So in the first uh, nine verses, we have God's promised word. At the time of uh, Isaiah 7, two opportunistic leaders named by the name of uh, Rezin and Pekka had formed an alliance to wage war. Syria and uh, Israel combined uh, forces to attack Judah in the south. They did this while the dominant northeastern national power of Assyria had its attention concentrated elsewhere. In the uh, 8th century BC, Uh, They marched down the eastern side of the Jordan River and conquered Judah's dependent states of Edom, Moab and Ammon. Then they set their sights on Jerusalem. You see that in verse 1. Understandably, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, was uh, alarmed and really on edge. And then from verse 3 on, we we see how God sends his servant, how he sends his prophet to meet with As at a particular occasion uh, next to a highway uh, to calm him and steady him and cause him not to be distracted in the crisis. Now, uh, there's a follow-on in regard to this um, from chapter 6. Luke took us into chapter 6 last week, and we saw the fantastic viewing of the Lord of hosts On his temple throne. And that initiated a preparedness on the part of Isaiah to go and serve the Lord. And here in chapter seven, here he is, he's out, he's serving the Lord, and he's carrying out his calling. In verse four, he comes with a bold voice, a voice of authority, and commands King Ahaz not to be fearful and not to be faint-haven. He's not to fear those two, I love this, these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Uh, namely King Rezin and Pekah. They are nothing more than burnt out embers. There's no fire left in them. You don't have to be afraid of them, Ahaz. They won't burn you. So what Ahaz needed to do was simply trust God and trust in his assuring word at this time. All he needed to know was that the Lord would look after him and look out for him. Now, Rezan and Pekah's alliance was opportunistic and it was fraught with evil intent. What they didn't appreciate, though, was that they weren't just up against Ahaz and the, the people of Judah, but they were up against God. The Lord had a covenant with the house of David, which meant he held his holy city, Jerusalem, in very high regard. In verse uh, 7, we see indication that God is a protector of of the city. It shall not, um, it says here, this invasion will never take place. Jerusalem will never be conquered. Now, this should have been good news uh, to Ahaz. Both he and countless others, though, uh, we find in history and find in life, don't want to hear the good news. It's just like it says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 16 and 17, but not everyone welcomes good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Well, certainly not Ahaz. In verse 9, the Lord warns Ahaz, and all types like him, if you are not firm in faith, What the Lord is saying here, if you don't believe, if you don't take me at my word, if you don't hold me uh, to the fore, if you doubt me, then you are not going to hold up. There's a price to be paid for not trusting in God. You will not be firm at all, says the scriptures. In other words, instability will take you over. You'll wave and wobble. You'll become disappointed. You will be restless. You'll be on the move and unable unable to sit still. So standing firm in faith is what maintains our spiritual equilibrium. It is what makes us stable and secure. James has something to say about this over in chapter 1 and verse 12. He speaks of a man of faith being a person who remains steadfast under trial. Uh, Raymond Ortland in his commentary says, faith in God is the central unavoidable question of our lives. It has three components, knowledge of God, persuading us to agree with God and motivating us to embrace God. When it comes to God's promises, we need to believe them. We need uh, to actually uh, run with them. We're not to buck against them. So here in this uh, opening section of Isaiah seven, there is a warning, but there's also a good encouragement. Good encouragement to keep strong in our faith. As we move on in the passage, we see uh, God's gracious provision, and this is this is startling. This is amazing. Uh, in verses ten to sixteen, uh, despite the resistance and and uh, in the midst of all sorts of goings on. God speaks a word of gracious love uh, to the king of Judah. He bids him to ask for a sign. What is amazing is that God gives the invitation knowing the listlessness of the king. Ask a sign of the Lord your God is the invitation. He invites a has to come to him and ask for help. Ask away, God says. And he gives him great scope in his asking. He says uh, you can ask for a, a, the most difficult thing that you want, as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. It could be anything, anything he could think of. I, I think the way this invitation comes over it tells us a great deal about our Lord. Here was God speaking with grace and mercy. Here was the Lord being noble, and here's the Lord being generous to people who don't believe in him and trust in him. Ahaz, you only have to ask. But Ahaz doesn't ask. He refused to. He thought he could manage his own works, and uh, he thought he could work things out for himself. Uh, That's the way so many uh, go today. They, They choose independence ahead of dependence upon God. It's interesting that even when people live independently from God, they still go looking for signs. People are so sign-needful. They crave for direction in life. They look out for weather signs and road and street signs and school signs and economic signs. And then there's superstitious signs and astrological signs and scientific signs. I mean, people are even looking out at the moment for signs of, of virus vaccines. People are ever on the lookout for indicators about life. I want the lowdown on what lies ahead. I remember going from door to door in visitation uh, some years ago, and I came across a lady who was proud who proudly stated that the first thing she read in her daily newspaper was the stars or the horoscopes. Uh, She wanted to know how her day would turn out. Uh, People think that uh, those who actually concoct these uh, star readings are gifted people with some futuristic insight. In fact, they're simply ordinary people, entrepreneurial people with creative imaginations. Uh, The woman at the door was quite dismayed when I suggested she was being deceived by clever manufactured suggestions dreamt up by people. Well, back to the king, back to King Ahaz. Ahaz could have had a sign, any sign, but he was too proud and pig-headed. All he could come up with was some plausible, paltry, pathetic excuse of not wanting to put the Lord to the test and exhausting his patience, as you see in verse 12. But God's patience was already a wearing thin regarding this man. His listless attitude was an insult to Isaiah and an insult to God. In in fact, it was outright rejection, just as Jesus spoke about over in Luke chapter 10 in verse 16. The one who hears you hears me, he said to his disciples. The one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So this was rejection on the part of Ahaz. He didn't want a sign. He didn't deserve a sign. The remarkable fact, though, is God gave him one. You read about that in verse 14. But now the difference was it was a sign not of Azaz's choosing but of God's choosing. And what a sign it was. It was both specific and unthinkable. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. So here's a son that's going to be born of a virgin. And a virgin was a woman who had never been sexually intimate with a man. Think about it. It's a startling, magnificent prophecy, isn't it? Uh, Dr. Paul Tripp uh, has written an Advent devotional book which can take you right through the days of December uh, in titles that come, let us adore him. And in it he suggests little exercises that parents or grandparents can undertake or even aunts and uncles can un- undertake in regard to children or nephews or nieces. He says try telling, try telling your children what prophecy means, that, it's a, that prophecy is God's promise of what is to come. And then he says, uh, talk to them about how many prophecies of Jesus' birth were made long before that first Christmas night. And he says, help them to understand the fact that all these promises about Jesus came true, which now means that we can trust all the promises that God has made to us. Well, it's a helpful little um, helpful little uh, suggestion that he makes and, and exercise. You might try it. This prophecy uh, here in Isaiah 7 may have had some historical connection to the birth of Isaiah's son, as some say it did. But I think it's best prefigures the coming of Jesus as God's Messiah. The one so miraculously born would be given a name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. This unique son would be incarnate deity. He would be God himself in human form. This means that our first Christmas focus or our chief Christmas focus should be not on the baby Jesus but on his deity, that is, God with us. It's an enriching truth. Even though we may not see Emmanuel, the truth of who he is can still come and grip us. We can be like Nathaniel, who saw only a preacher until his eyes were opened and then he cried, thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. Or we can be like Peter who walked on the road to Caesarea Philippi and liked the godly conversation between his colleagues until it was brilliantly borne uh, upon him with explosive understanding who this man from Nazareth really was. Thou art the Christ. The son of the living God. God can give us uh, like dawnings ourselves as to who Jesus really is. Jesus is the gift, the gift sign of grace we all need. He shall call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from his sins. Or as Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. God knew that the only thing that could rescue us from ourselves and repair the horrendous damage done by sin to our lives and to the world had to be done in person. So he gave us himself in Jesus. He came as a redeeming, transforming gift. Jesus is our rescuer. Jesus is our forgiveness. Jesus is our restoration, our life, our joy, our peace, our security. He's the one who came to save his people from their sins. So Jesus' birth was a sign, a light that had never been seen before. He was a new, significant, personal, present, powerful sign, personally given by the Lord himself. So God was with us, with us in Christ in his life, in his birth, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. So here's Ahaz, he's facing Syria and Ephraim, hostile enemies in alliance. But we face an even greater hostility with the alliance of sin and death. We battle with both, directly and indirectly, each week, often daily. One hounds us, the other haunts us. But God is so with us that he has gone into battle in Jesus for us against this alliance of sin and death. He became sin for us. He absorbed all our sin and death into himself on the cross. So there on the cross, Jesus extinguished their power. So my question to you today is, Has all the accomplishments of Jesus saved you? Is Jesus your sign of salvation? If not, don't resist him like Ahaz did, but ask for his help. He loves to be generous. He loves to transform, and he loves to make people spiritually alive. So God's sign is a reminder that the Christmas story is all about grace. God with grace us the lord of hosts with his incalculable glory humbles himself and becomes a flesh and blood human being the creator becomes the created the one who made a perfect world exposes himself to our imperfections and then in great grace he saves us but he doesn't just send his people out he doesn't just send us out into a corrupt world with a backpack of principles and promises and commandments. He sends us out by going with us. He is God with us. He firstly comes to us, then he comes within us, and then he sticks by us. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. God knows when you will never make it unless we know his presence unless uh, every step of the way, in every situation, in every location, in every relationship, we have God with us. He knows uh, he needs to be with us in our troubles and our trials because he's been there all the way along. Our daily morning prayer times have been a terrific blessing to a number of people, so helpful and so upbuilding, and, and, and at times rescuing too. I loved Aurora's prayer on Wednesday morning. She may not even uh, remember what she said, but it hit a note with me. She prayed at one point in in her prayer as we were praying for revival in the course of the week. Lord, please keep us despite ourselves. Uh, I think she is probably praying, Lord, despite our tendency to greed and self-pleasing and untruth and doubt and distrust, Lord, be with us. It's God's everlasting presence that we need, that we need, because uh, in that presence we find everything we need to get through life up to the point when we die. So God with us is the very best, best gift of his grace. Well, we're not like Isaiah, not like Ahaz. We're not caught up in war at the moment. But nevertheless, we keep hearing about it. We hear of the civil unrest in the United States and Peru and Ethiopia and Thailand and Kazakhstan, the civil war in Armenia, India's standoff with China and the current trade war with China and it's a set of expansionist policies in the South China Sea. We hear all that. How easy it is to become fretful or fearful or even panicky about the future. We need to remember that God is with us And we can face the future calmly, not alarmingly. The third thing I want to just share briefly is um, a section that wasn't read out to us in the Bible, in the God's sure warning of judgment. Uh, You see that in verses 17 to 25. The warning is that God rules and uh, doesn't miss those who ignore him and distrust him. He doesn't miss seeing all that King Ahaz uh, presented in his rejection and his rebellion. And we know that, you know, history tells us that Ahaz secretly formed an alliance with uh, the power-mongering Assyrians who uh, acted like a school bully and uh, were particularly skilled in constant systematic cruelty Ahaz trusted in himself rather than trusting in God, and therefore he, he experienced a serious, contemptuous, heavy-handedness. And the Lord said to this, and in these verses he said to me, he'd bring out time of excruciating judgment upon both king and nation. And his judgment is underscored by, notice the four ominous mentions, in that day, in that day, four times it's mentioned here. In that day, the Lord will effortlessly whistle up Egypt and Assyria to action. In that day, Assyria will do a thorough job of despoiling Judah. In that day, the population will be largely lost and taken over by animals. In that day, the landscape that once featured cultivated vineyards will be overrun with briars and thorns. What a warning is this. We must not ignore God or take his judgments lightly. God is serious about dealing with sin. He cannot look upon sin or condone iniquity. In conclusion today, the standout point of this passage is not judgment. I think it's grace. It must be our starting point in beginning to understand Christmas. It's not the odd mixture of pagan ideas and superstitions and fanciful legends and, and awful ignorance people may join at Christmas that makes sense of Christmas. It is God's grace given in his son. That's what makes Christmas meaningful. The promised Christmas sign of Isaiah 7.14 assures us that God is ever at work in the face of unbelief and distrust. His suddenly sign indicates to us his sovereign control and he's preparing us to intervene in the affairs of people and of nations. His suddenly sign uh, gives us appreciation that Jesus has the best name, Emmanuel, God with us. And in that we have all the good of God and all the good of his son coming to do us the utmost good. Read through the Gospels and see the good he did. Jesus' presence did a world of good so much so that it makes you want to know him, makes you want to go on and keep trusting him. It's his presence that can make a world of difference in our world and cause us to be both cool and calm in those rough and tough times. So be assured God is with us, that he's close by, he's within, without and around about. He's the one who's full of knowledge and wisdom and power and love, and he stands ready to help us. So we need his everlasting presence. Are you trusting him right now at this very moment in whatever you are facing? He never lets faith go unmet, but he never lets trust, distrust go unaddressed. Don't be an Ahaz. Be an Isaiah. Be prepared to obey God. Go out for God. Trust God and boldly speak his word. You have God's everlasting presence with you as an actual reality so that you can face all that life dishes up. May God bless us. Let's pray together. Thanks be to God. Dear Father, we come to you today and thank you. Thank you for this sign. Thank you for this wonderful passage which just reminds us of how uh, kindly you've looked upon us and how graciously you've looked upon us lord we're surrounded by all kinds of presences in this world of leaders and heroes and stars and entertainment and sport and technology and science and yet father we find that there's still lots of people that are lonely it's your presence it's your abiding eternal presence that we need Lord, come and presence yourself with us today afresh. Encourage us, assure us, and strengthen us in faith that we might uh, know just how close by you are and regularly keep calling upon your help. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church,